0: On this Staff Edition episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the use of medical assistance in the ASC setting and focus on pharmaceutical services.
1: Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. The ASC Podcast with John Gailey is brought to you through the generous support of our sponsors, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, Surgical Information Systems, Air, Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions, Medicus IT, and BHG Patient Lending. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our sponsors, all of whom have been carefully screened for the quality of their products and services and their dedication to the ASC industry. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com and please consider them for your center's needs.
0: Welcome to episode 126 of the staff edition of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for February 21st, 2021, recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Susan Cronkite, chief researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and senior nurse consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. John Gailey is the author of over ten books in the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. You
1: you <laughs> changed the script there. It says Mr. Gailey. I can't just keep
0: it, calling you Mr. Gailey. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I did have Your Royal Highness in there, but that didn't go very well. So, uh, Sue, you're, you're all bundled up here. Um, we're uh, trying to warm up our studio, which is in our ground floor of our yeah. very cold uh, uh, home here in uh, Rochester, New York. Hopefully yeah. all of our uh, audiences stay nice and warm out there. Hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, if you're in Texas, I know uh. quite a number of listeners come from Texas, yeah. that you're safe and, and warm and, and have power again. So our prayers are with you. So, you know, our staff edition continues to be a very popular feature. Mm-hmm. It, it uh, actually uh, – twice as many listeners uh, listen to the staff edition, by the mm-hmm. way, Sue, as do the regular edition. Now, mm-hmm. uh, now I, I think the reason for that is that, you know, a lot of – people in, listen in, to it, both. Yeah, m- yeah, many people listen for both and, and then of course – you know, if this is something that you encourage your staff to listen to in the car, that's probably uh, mm-hmm. causing quite a number of people to uh, participate. So we we would welcome any comments or suggestions you have about the staff edition, uh, anything that you would like to have us talk about. Um, uh, we would uh, It would be very helpful uh, as we're trying to put together content. So let's start by talking uh, a little bit about some recent experiences we've had uh, regarding medical assistance. So uh, we've had to do a little bit of research in this and, and just kind of make it very uh, clear as to what an MA can and cannot do. So go ahead, Sue.
0: Mm-hmm. So, as everybody knows, there um, a lot of MAS work in surgical centers, and they're invaluable. They we have some really great MAS that right. that just contribute so much.
1: And, and of course, it's becoming even more important mm-hmm. for us to to uh, to work with MAS as our staffing shortage, particularly nurses, has become quite severe. You yep. know, in our in our current environment with COVID.
0: Mm-hmm. But we don't want to cross over those roles, so. Um, For medical assistance, they can check vital signs, collect patients' symptoms and medical information. They can administer some medications and vaccinations, collect samples, uh, blood samples, urine samples, etc. They often do administrative tasks like collecting insurance information, scheduling appointments, answering phones, filing paperwork, uh, doing bookkeeping and billing. But it's important to understand that they can't do assessments, um, interpret data, or do patient or family teaching. And I know that can be kind of a fine line if you're taking vital signs, um, recording data and observations on a patient. You know, that's fine, but you you have to make sure that you're not doing what could be considered an assessment. You can't make that judgment of whether, you know, they need a different Type of treatment, or even if you have to call the doctor or whatever, so you've got to be working under, you know, directly under a doctor's um, supervision. or RN, RN. Um, they can't drop medication. That's something we've run into quite a bit. You know, where I, they're just, you know, pulling up all the meds at the beginning of the day. There are several things wrong with that, but definitely it cannot be done by an MA. Um, and they may be able to give an injection, but they can't start. An IV, they can't administer IV medi- medications or perform telephone triage because that again comes into that assessment uh, piece.
1: So, it, just this last week, we uh, saw uh, actually a job description for an MA that included uh, actually mm-hmm. included the words, um, you know, discusses the. Uh, uh, the, patient the treatment
0: options and, and consent and that kind of thing. right?
1: And, and I, I mean, in all fairness, I think it was meant to be very innocent. It meant mm-hmm. to, you know, that they were just... I'm, Describe I'm sure, it or something. I, I'm sure that's yeah. what they meant by mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the way it was worded, it just immediately, uh, you know, stood out mm-hmm. as, oh my goodness, this is a, a significant violation of, uh, of their scope of practice. Mm-hmm. So uh, be very careful about any of the language. It, you know, and by the way, even a nurse can't discuss... You know mm-hmm. the uh, the informed consent yeah, sure. of those yeah. questions. Yeah. Um, so let alone an MA. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we said, I think that this is going to become more of an issue. I mm-hmm. mean, we uh, there are roles for MAs in mm-hmm. an operation, but they do have to work directly under the supervision of a nurse. Uh, and as you said, Sue, and we need to reemphasize: they can't do anything that looks or smacks of of. Um, uh,
0: Assessment, like if they're working in the PACU, if they're recovering patients, that's really tricky because you have to make some assessments to know when, you know, when there's a concern.
1: Right. And, and and it's also important to note that, uh, you know, a, a nurse always has to, I mean, the, the MA has to work under the direct supervision. When we mean direct, that means that that mm-hmm. nurse has to be in the same room yeah. with the MA when they're performing all of their duties mm-hmm. uh, in the surgery center. So today I thought, or for this episode, I thought we would uh, concentrate on pharmaceutical services, something that we haven't talked about in the podcast in general for uh, at least a year. And, uh, you know, some issues have been popping up recently on it, but it's certainly time to talk about it. So... uh, Now, as we've mentioned uh, before, uh, the Medicare regulations for surgery centers, which dictate uh, how you maintain your license, are referred to as the conditions for coverage for an ASC. And the conditions for coverage that relate to pharmaceutical services fall under Part 416.48 pharmaceutical services. So, Sue, why don't you read what the regulations are?
0: Okay. So, the ASC must provide... Drugs and biologicals in a safe and effective manner in accordance with accepted professional practice and under the direction of an individual designated responsible for pharmaceutical services. Uh, Standard administration of drugs. Drugs must be prepared and administered according to established policies and acceptable standards of practice. So part of this is adverse reactions must be reported to the physician responsible for the patient and must be documented in the record blood and blood products must be administered by only physicians or registered nurses. And again, that we don't see that really in ASCs, but um, orders given orally for drugs and biologicals must be followed by a written order signed by the prescribing physician.
1: So again, those were the conditions for coverage. Now, uh, when we uh, look, when surveyors uh, come in to survey an organization, they also have available to them what we refer to as the interpretive guidelines. Mm-hmm. And the in, so I'm just going to paraphrase some of the interpretive okay. guidelines that are applicable here for pharmaceutical services. And maybe we'll just alternate this a little bit. Soon. So the ASC must designate a specific licensed healthcare professional provide direction to the ASC's pharmaceutical service. And this individual must be routinely present when the ASC is open for business, but continuous presence is not required. And what we mean by this is this most likely is not going to be a pharmacist since most surgery centers are not large enough. In matter of fact, I don't even know mm-hmm. of a single surgery center I've ever worked in that they had so many services that a pharmacist was on on site, on site all the time. Mm-hmm. So usually this is going to be the physician, for example, whose uh, license uh, is is used for the purchase of yeah. those drugs.
0: Mm-hmm. But ideally, the ASC should have available a pharmacist who provides oversight or consultation, so a pharmacy consultant. And this is not required by the regulation unless the ASC is performing activities under which state law may, only be performed by a licensed pharmacist. And a,
1: a good example of that would be mm. like compounding, which, mm-hmm. again, is not common in an ASC. <laughs> the ASC must have policies and procedures designed to promote medication administration consistent with applicable standards of practice.
0: And a physician or other qualified member of the medical staff acting within their scope of practice must issue an order for all drugs or biologicals that are administered in the ASC.
1: And as we mentioned earlier, that's got to be mm. in writing, too. Yep. Uh, the administration of drugs or biologicals must be by or under the Supervision of nursing or other personnel in accordance with the uh, with applicable law, standards of practice, and the ASC's policies.
0: And following the manufacturer's label, including storing drugs and biologicals as directed, disposing of expired medications in a timely manner, and using single dose vials of medication for one ASC patient only.
1: Avoiding preparation of medications too far in advance of their use. And how many how many times have I walked in and seen a whole bunch of IV mm-hmm. bags spike? Well, that's not acceptable. Yep.
0: And any pre-filled syringes must be initialed by the person who draws it, dated and timed to indicate when they were drawn, and labeled as to both content and expiration date. And of course, they will expire one hour after they were drawn up.
1: And, uh, and employing standard infection control practices when using injectable medications, such as uh, what's that term, Sue, for cleaning the port? Um, scrub the hub. Scrub the hub, thank you. Yeah. Um, and again... A very common citation. Scrub the
0: hub that on the IV but then, and scrub the vial top too
1: Right, before you administer it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about some of the common issues that uh, that we find when we're, uh, we're we're visiting surgery centers, like drawing up too many medications, you know, uh, like for more than the current patient. This is a real mm-hmm. no-no, is that you should never draw up medications for for anybody but the patient that is in the room, mm-hmm. and you should never draw it up from uh, a multi-dose vial in front of the patient. So mm-hmm. if you're using a multi-dose vial... Uh, that has to be drawn outside of the patient care area, such as in a medication neutral zone, uh, medication room, for example. Uh, and that is a common citation. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it could also be an immediate jeopardy situation where the center would be subject to shut down until they fix that problem, uh, you know, permanently. So, uh, unfortunately, it is a, it's not at all uncommon, I would say, no. uh, to see people, uh, you know, violating this rule and making sure that your single dose drugs are not used on multiple patients. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why. I have to state that, uh, but if something is labeled for single use only for single, uh, yeah, single doesn't patient, matter where you draw it up. That's
0: right. You just have to use it just for one patient.
1: And and of course, if you are using multi-dose drugs, uh, and your policy is that you will only use it on one patient, you can draw that up in uh, mm-hmm. the patient care. You just yep. you know obviously remember you can't use it on any more patients, mm-hmm.
0: and not labeling drugs appropriately has been another problem.
1: As we just talked about, making sure that you uh, have those four elements on the drugs. Mm-hmm. And remembering that you have to label the drugs if you're not using it right away. So, and, and what we mean by that is if you hold it in your hand the entire time and never let it down, you mm-hmm. probably don't have to dr- label it. Mm-hmm. But the minute you put it down, even if it's only for a minute or for a second, uh, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Or uh, put it in it, your it means,
0: pocket or anything.
1: Right. It needs yep. to be labeled. And I know I've heard this argument. Well, you know, it's propofol. Everybody knows what propofol looks mm-hmm. like. There's no way we could uh, mix it up. It yeah. doesn't matter. The the rules are the
0: rules. Yep. Have it labeled, and it sounds so obvious, but make sure that you look and then that you're double-checking them. And we did want to mention there's a note in terminology from the look-alike, sound-alike, or LASA that we used to call it. It's now called Confused Drug Names.
1: Yeah, so that, uh, that is from the ISMP, which is changing the terminology. Actually, the confused drug names has always been the term out there, but we've used the, kind of what we would refer to as a, a vernacular term lookalike, mm-hmm. soundalike drugs. So now we're moving to confused drug names and I'd encourage you to start changing the labeling or the, the signage that you might have in your surgery centers now to confused drug names. Mm-hmm. And to that end, storing drugs too close to each other in alphabetic order is very common, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, let's, let's, you know, ephedrine and epinephrine, storing them next to each other is is just asking for trouble so yeah
0: so you can do the alphabetical order but just not for those drugs that that are too similar looking in name separate right. those in some way and also use the tall man lettering you know anything that you can do to to separate those
1: Let's talk about drug storage for a second and particularly uh, uh, drug storage and medication refrigerators. Um, I don't want to see any dorm room refrigerators anymore for mm-hmm. storing drugs. They're just not stable enough. So uh, if you've got that type of a, of, a, of a refrigerator that you're using for your medications, you should be replacing that with uh, a, a refrigerator that's much more stable that's been designed, um, which unfortunately will be more expensive you know, for drugs, and continuously monitoring. Now, ideally, you know, if you have a, an alarm system built into the refrigerator, uh, that would be best. But uh, the other thing you can do is have one of those new USB uh, thermometers that uh, you can uh, put inside the refrigerator and then put into your computer to be able to mm-hmm. monitor the, the temperature c- continuously. Uh, at the very least, you need to record the temperature Uh, throughout the day and uh, monitor the high and low settings. So if you get a refrigerator or get a a temperature monitor that has a high-low monitoring capability and reset it every day and then Mm -hmm. record the high and low temperature, anything that falls outside of that uh, range, you know, you have to either check the manufacturer's instructions to see if the drug, you know, how long the drug can be outside of that range um, uh, Mm -hmm. or dispose of it. Mm -hmm. And speaking of drug disposal.
0: (laughs) Don't, Throw your drugs out in the Sharps container. Don't leave the half-full syringes and just toss them in there or the half-full, um, you know, medication vials. You should get the some type of a, a drug disposal container, like the Drug Buster or Rx Destroyer, and just keep small bottles of those in the areas where you're drying up the medication and using the medication and just put, and squirt the drugs into that. Um, and, you know, you get multi Uses from that. So right. there really doesn't, so Sounds it doesn't end up being very expensive. And yeah. it's, it's if you put them in the right place, put them in a handy place, it's not that hard to do. So that that's an easy solution.
1: And as Sue said, you know, do not dispose of drugs in the sharps containers. Uh, making sure that the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, vials that you might have are completely empty, that you dispose of all of the, the remaining mm-hmm. drugs from a vial into the drug buster mm-hmm. or drug RX destroyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, or squirting
0: them into the, um, People talk about squirting them into the chucks pad or something yeah. like that. That's not not, acceptable that's not really acceptable anymore. anymore.
1: Um, and then one of my favorite topics is uh, not locking the anesthesia carts. Um, this is a very common thing for surveyors to do is to uh, – You know, once the anesthesiologist has left the room at the end of the procedure, we go over and make sure that that anesthesia cart is Mm -hmm. uh, locked. And 90% of the time, I I don't know if that's true, if it was 90%, but it's It's a very high (laughs) proportion of the time, you know, those anesthesia carts are not locked. And uh, there's two reasons for that. One is that you probably have drugs in there that uh, uh, cannot be left, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, unlocked. Uh, And probably the more important thing, so I've always said this, this is what really helps me explain it to an anesthesiologist Mm is, you know, when you started the day, you check your anesthesia card to make sure all of your rescue drugs are in there all mm-hmm. the important supplies are in there and uh, if you don't lock the card how do you know somebody hasn't come in and taken it yeah. even for the most innocent of reasons maybe another anesthesiologist needed something in his mm-hmm. cart came over to your cart took something out and if and they were going
0: to tell you they didn't tell you now you don't have what you need on your cart I mean card. you're responsible for that so.
1: yeah so uh, so please make sure and this is a good thing for you know the staff here is that when you see the anesthesiologist leaving the room and forgetting to lock the cart, remind him to lock the card a lot of new cards coming out have these push buttons, so it's very easy to, you know, mm-hmm. like type in a, a code number instead of having to find that key.
0: Um, yeah, you can make yeah. it
1: very easy. I know they're more expensive, but uh, this is a very important thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And don't just keep drugs in your pocket. We see people walking around with these drawn up, you yeah. know, syringes in their pockets. For one thing, there's a temperature issue, um, and also, like we had said, you just you can't draw medications up very far in advance. So yeah, and, and making sure that it. it's
1: disposed of within mm. an hour. It's a little bit tougher, I guess, when and it's in just your wandering clothes around. there. Yeah. So. So let's just kind of finish by talking about how do we avoid drug errors? Well, one is what we're doing right now is staff education, you know, making sure people are aware of the rules, the regulations, um, that they're aware of what a surveyor is going to be looking for mm-hmm. when they come in. And, you know, uh, you know, we talk about manufacturer's instructions all the time. It's very important that you always read the manufacturer's instructions for anything that you're using. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that you educate your staff or that you're well aware of the multi-dose and labeling requirements. Um and you know to you know for the nurses that are doing assessments making sure you get full information from the patient on the drugs that they're taking any allergies they have and of course any reactions they have mm-hmm. to those drugs um this happens a lot you know for example i do expert witness testimony sometimes and i can't tell you the number of times that we've we've run into situations where there's been a question as to whether we got full information from the mm-hmm. patient beforehand or something happened to the patient because we didn't uh, get full information out Most of the time, uh, we think it's because the patient refused to give it or didn't give Mm -hmm, it to us. mm -hmm. Uh, But one could certainly argue, and and often the plaintiff's attorney is arguing, well, you Mm -hmm. never asked for that information. So making sure that you get that full information. I know. I mean, I know the pressure you have from the doctors to get that patient in and out quickly, uh, but you need to, to, you know, you as nurses, your responsibility is to protect the patient. And the best way to protect the patient Mm -hmm. is know as much as possible about that patient.
0: Yeah, and the storage that we had talked about with the tall man lettering and not storing similarly named medications next to each other. That also goes with um, different strengths of the same medication. If you have more than one, which we don't recommend, generally you should try to, like as John has said, um, standardize the strengths of, of your different medications. But if for some reason you have to get in a, a different concentration because um, of a drug shortage or something, just be very careful that the staff is educated on the change, that you've, you've got it clearly marked, and if you do have to carry a couple different concentrations, don't store them right next to each other and make sure they're very clearly labeled because those are, those are very serious when that happens if you've got something that's, you know, multiple st- times stronger than what you thought you were giving, obviously.
1: So big takeaway is do everything you can to, you know, protect the patient, make mm-hmm. sure you get proper information, make sure you educate yourself on the rules and regulations. And uh,
0: Always double-check, do all of your six rights, you know, when, when you're giving medications.
1: Very good. Well, uh, that's it for this uh, episode. Thank you for joining us and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the ASC podcast with John Gailey. But did you know that you can enhance your experience and support the free podcast by becoming a patron member? Patron members have access to ASC Central and add-on service at a very reasonable price. Patron members have access to our regular drop-in virtual meetings where you can discuss issues that you are dealing with in your ambulatory surgery center with the hosts and other members. Members also have access to valuable member resources, including a a document library with a growing list of resources, including the rules and regulations, guides to maintaining compliance, example policies and procedures, infection control resources, example risk assessments, example committee and governing body minutes, and over 60 disaster drill scenario kits and example forms and checklists. Members also have access to some of the virtual conferences that we have presented, including the Provider Credentialing Conference, which we offered in December 2020. It's a New World Conference in 2020. Infection Control in Service to Meet the Challenges of COVID-19 and the ASC Mandatory Education Program, which is a valuable resource for annual education for your staff. Membership helps to defray the costs of producing the podcast, including the research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. For more information, you may visit ASCPodcast.com. To become a member, visit ASCPodcast.com.
0: This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, Surgical Information Systems, Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions, BHG Patient Lending, Medicus IT and Intel Air. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.